That's funny. Like we've talked about, I think several times where it's like, just because you have the French laundry cookbook doesn't mean you can open the French laundry. Um, but there must be some cases where it's like someone with the right skill set, like does kind of swoop into a place and like glean, oh, sure. glean a bunch of recipes that they can <laughs> recipes yeah. or not just recipes, but other, other um, techniques, IP, and yeah. <laughs> business ideas. And yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think that there's been anything like that at kind really. That I can remember. Wait, did Marcus used to work for you? I'm just kidding. Well, it's interesting <laughs> because I don't know if it's coincidence or what the deal is, but like, man, sometimes their rotating flavors, like sometimes their feature flavors are very similar to what we're running. <laughs> Isn't it and just like, like part of the ice cream zeitgeist? Like, it's just like it, what? It must be because like, you know, they couldn't possibly know what we're going to run. And I think they roll their flavors out at the beginning of the month too, unless there's a mole. I was just going to (laughs) say, I do think it's kind of like, you know, it's a, I think it's exactly like, um, Elm and Pharaoh where like we at Elm, we'd be like looking at Instagram, looking at what they're making and like, Oh, we did that three months ago but it's like it's sandwiches man like it's what else can be done yeah you're gonna put something between bread and it's gonna be some kind of probably either some type of vegetarian protein or some kind of meat-based protein with some flavors and sauces and some vegetables like there's i mean there are a lot of combinations but like you know there are only so many combinations that kind of sell that right. people are kind of familiar with and like will really be excited about and yeah. you know you, you're playing that promo game all the time and so right. obviously you're gonna come up with similar ideas if you're both like coffee and sandwich shops it just yeah. is a thing but what about when the <laughs> what about when the pun sandwich names were too similar <laughs> that's uh that's trademark territory alan that's this could be some serious legal ramifications i'm sure i'm sure that both shops had um oh i don't even know how to say it. is it shia labeouf <laughs> like shia labeouf dip sandwiches or something almost certainly yeah, yeah. probably on the same day <laughs> I mean, on shia labeouf day yeah <laughs> Welcome to Food Court. I'm Shale McDonald, and I'm here with my co-host, Alan Sutterby. How are you doing, Alan? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great, Alan. We're two chefs from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We love food, and we love to talk about it. And we've been talking about it for one year. Yeah, so happy anniversary, Alan. Yeah, happy anniversary, Shale. Wow, time flies. Time flies when you're having fun. Alan, do you want to do an intro? Since it's our one-year anniversary, do you want to do an intro? Yeah, sure. Um, okay. I mean, I've heard you do it, so... How hard could it really well, be? Welcome to Food Court. I'm Shale McDonald. Oh, shoot. I <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in for sure. <laughs> that was a good try, Alan. That was a really good try. Uh, maybe next week (laughs) maybe two weeks from now yeah (laughs) um so 
yeah, happy one year, Alan. So stoked that we made it this far. It's awesome. And yeah. in that vein, I'm also really excited that like it seems like we're starting to like it was also or it was kind of always the intention to have like an ongoing dialogue with our audience Mm -hmm. and we've mentioned it a few times on the show and it does say like in the credits for the show you know to hit us up if you have questions or comments or whatever yeah and i don't know maybe we don't lean on that enough Mm -hmm. but it really does seem like you know we're starting to get a lot of feedback from listeners Mm -hmm. cool and yeah, that's awesome. Like, I like doing follow-up at the top of the show. And, you know, getting some feedback from listeners really, you know, gives us, you know, something to dig into at the top of the show, which I which I think is great. And then, it, it, you know, like, it, it's also really, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's really satisfying to me to have sort of like an ongoing dialogue with people who are listening to the show and enjoying it and, you know, like even if they take issue with something that we say or, you know, point out mistakes like that. I don't know. It's, it's really gratifying to know that people are listening and want to write in and chat with us about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and I also like, you know, run into friends who listen to the show and stuff like fairly often. And we talk about it in person and I've talked about some of those conversations on the show and stuff as well. But like, um, yeah, I don't know, getting, getting like starting to get sort of like a, steady stream of feedback via like email and Instagram. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, feels good. feels like a part of the show that I was like hoping was going to fall into place mm-hmm. and, you know, it isn't something that you can really have when you start a show because there's, you don't know who your listeners are going to be. Your listeners don't necessarily really know how to contact you. And right. so you kind of have to build that up over time. And I feel like that's really starting to happen and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you have something? So speaking of which, (laughs) yeah, I feel like we've got a few things. Um, Judy wrote us a couple of emails after the uh, Love and Hate in Gadget Town episode. Oh, okay. um, Which was the most recent one. Great. Um, And uh, yeah, she had a lot to say about gadgetry. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, some of it was kind of pointed at you, Alan. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I I guess did you have a chance to look at that stuff at all? I did read it. Um, yeah, we, yeah. You sent it along to me, and I read it. You have to. I what I remember. I'm not sure if I sent you the second one because I think I may have only looked at the second one today. She sent us two. Okay. Yeah the the first one revol- the one that you sent to me. Um, rev- it was kind. Of, there was a lot of there was a lot in there, but uh, a lot to unpack. But in some ways, yeah. it was a pointed criticism of the gadgets in my own kitchen. <laughs> because she so judy gadgets and equipment yeah yeah um yeah. like judy's at our place most weeks she's here um two afternoons a week watching our kids while lisa and yeah. I are oh and just to be clear in case we didn't mention it before judy is your partner lisa's mom that yes that's right sorry yeah, yeah. yeah that's right um and um yeah she does lots of fun stuff with the kids and and a lot of it's in the kitchen. And so they will routinely bake um, what uh, the kids call them biscuits. To me, they look like cinnamon rolls, but. Um, oh, yeah. 
so yeah, uh, Judy had some comments on uh, the yeah the the dishes, equipment, and gadgets in my kitchen. That's what I remember. Yeah. So let's let's go through some of it. So I think like most importantly, which I don't know, I'm curious to see what you have to say about this, but apparently you don't have any stainless steel mixing bowls in your kitchen. Is that right? Well, that's just a lie. She's lying. Uh, we do. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, but we don't have, we don't have, um, we've got two, um, what I would call small to medium sized stainless steel bowls. So they're probably only mm. six, they're probably only eight inches across. Um, right. So maybe it's more of a misinterpretation on my part because I think she did say no large stainless yeah. steel okay, bowls. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the, the bowls, most of the larger, uh, vessels I use for mixing are we have like yeah a set of nested um, Pyrex uh, glass bowls and yeah they are heavy right. and they are cumbersome yeah <laughs> so <laughs> fair point Judy one Alan zero maybe she can get me some for Christmas next year <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding maybe I'll get you one big one for Christmas next year um, and then. Uh, something that she said that she finds super useful, but apparently you also don't have as a pastry cutter. Yeah. Is that the, official you know, it's name? like that knife that it's like, um, I don't know what I, I guess it's like a, like five or six bladed tool that you hold mm. in your hand and like you push it through the pastry and it's supposed to cut up the butter in yeah if you're making like pie dough or or short dough or something like that yeah like it's for cutting the it's to me i to me that's a very like um very north american thing like to to cut the fat mm -hmm. into the dough like that um so it's like how you how you distribute the 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 butter or lard or shortening that you're using in a pastry um how to distribute that into the flour and in I, this is not, I'm not an expert, but to me, that's like a very North American method of doing it. And it, mm -hmm. uh, intentionally gives you like varied sizes, um, of chunks of fat in the dough. Whereas I think like a more European or like the French and like the techniques that would be taught in culinary school and pastry school, like you generally want a much more a much finer and a much uh, more even distribution of the fat into the dough. Right. And so fair point, like for making like traditional North American homemade baked goods. I, it, I think she mentions like she tries doing the, the two knife technique where you're like kind of uh, cutting through the fat with um, two knives moving in opposition. Um, yeah, it's like trying to whip cream with a fork. Instead yeah, of a exactly. Whisk. It's a it's really it's like, slow and cumbersome. You and can do it, but you're going to be there for a long time. Yeah. yeah. So, but the reason that I first of all, a lot of the pastry that I make, I I don't I don't cut in the fat in that way. And so, for instance, when I do pie dough, whether I'm using butter or lard or a combination of, um, I use a box grater, like a cheese grater um oh, yeah. to to bust up the fat and it does it into small relatively uniform pieces and if you want the larger more irregular pieces like you would see in like a rustic north american pie then you can just like after you've grated all the butter you can like clump some of it back together to get large pieces before you turn it into the flour so yeah. that's why i don't have it because i use a grater or even um 
the paddle attachment on a stand mixer, depending on what kind of dough I'm making. Yeah. But I've got the drawer space. I can, I can bring one in for her for sure. <laughs> we used to have one when I was a kid and mm-hmm. I used, used to pretend it was a punching weapon. Oh, I don't think, <laughs> like, I don't like, think I've ever really used, I don't know, maybe once or twice I used one to actually, I mean, like we used to make pie dough. My mom and my grandma on my mom's side used to make pie dough like for holiday get togethers and stuff. And I know that they used one for that. Mm-hmm. And I probably, they probably showed me how to use it for that. Mm-hmm. Probably I'm did, but... pretty sure my mom uses it for her pies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think you need one, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I like the grater method and the stand mixer method. And the food, like I, and the food the processor. Food processor yeah, like cutting yeah. fat into dough with a food processor is fantastic. You do it really quick, and the fat stays nice and cold, and you don't have to. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in the food processor, you can still get pretty irregular chunks depending on how you kind of like how much you baby it. Yep, yeah, totally. So I win that round. So you, yeah, I in my opinion, okay. I think you're like the um, mediator here. <laughs> I'm the item mediator. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Judy in her email also said she was going to bring by a garlic peeler. Did she bring one by? She did, and I used it. Oh, it's great. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to. I want to hear your report. It worked great. Worked good. Yeah. It. Um, I was actually. I was pleasantly surprised it i thought that you had to make it work you had to crush the garlic and so i think that's maybe part of the conversation we had um, yeah last week. It's we like, definitely kind of talked about it um but it very quickly and completely took the peels off the garlic without crushing the the um the garlic itself okay um yeah <laughs> can you do more than one clove at once hmm well, I think I, you could, you'd have to change your technique. So I was holding it uh, so the tube was vertical. And so like you had the pressure of your hands on the side of the tube is what was keeping the garlic in place. Right. And it's and basically that, just a rubber tube, hey? Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, um, but I think that if you, maybe if you lay it flat on the table and you rolled it back and forth, like towards and away you from You put yourself, two or three in there or something like that. You could put a bunch in there and they, you, it wouldn't yeah. be difficult to keep them in. I'll, I'll try that hmm. this week. Okay. Maybe I should get one. <laughs> yeah. And how do you feel about whether it needs to be washed after every use? Um, it definitely, yeah, like some, even though it doesn't really crush the garlic, it, uh, like, like some of the, like, the kind of, of little aromatic bits of oily garlic bit. juice are going to get on it, right, over time and oils and things yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like it smells like garlic after you use it, yeah. But just th- throw it in the dishwasher, I guess. It'd yep. be easy. Okay. I don't think either of us was really against garlic peelers. I don't know. I think maybe I thought it was like a dumb unitasker, but yeah, you said that you could just as easily and quickly do it by uh, crushing the knife with the side of the knife. Yeah, which I did do today, and sort of reiterated in my mind how easy it is to peel garlic by crushing it with a knife. But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess if you want to keep your cloves uncrushed, which for some preparations is a thing, Mm -hmm. have you ever made that like? garlic clove chicken braise thing uh i don't know what you mean there's like a french dish and i'm pretty sure it's french and it's like braised chicken legs with like tons of cloves of garlic and the garlic basically like cooks down and confits while you're braising the chicken and you get this and then you make it into a puree sauce or 
Uh, no. Um, I think you, so you braise it in white wine, I think, mm-hmm. if I remember. Uh, it's, it's been a long time. I don't exactly remember the whole dish, but it's a lot of white wine also. Mm-hmm. And I think you take the garlic cloves out with the chicken and serve them like, you know, just along with the chicken, but they're like totally softened and oh, okay. and nice and dark and caramelized from mm-hmm. the cooking process. And then I think you turn the residual like wine that's in the braise into like a pan sauce. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. No, I've not had that. When I get my garlic peeler, I'm definitely going to make it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I don't know, maybe this isn't, I think this might've been in the second email and maybe you didn't see it. So this might be a surprise to you, but apparently, or Judy kind of stuck up for bagel slicers. Was that in the first email? No, I didn't see that. No. Okay. You give me a second here. I'm going to pull it up because I, I think it would be worth quoting the email. Okay. To me, it sounds like Judy's joking around here, but okay. you tell me, you know her better than I do. Okay. RE Bagel Slicers. Bagel slicers are a safety solution to a specific problem. There was a time when hospital emergency rooms were inundated with people slicing (laughs) into the web between their thumb and index finger while cutting bagels. Um, I think I I also interpret that as a joke, although I think it's important to say that Judy and I have had real disagreements about health and safety issues surrounding um, kitchen equipment. Oh yeah. So for instance, there's this fairly infamous one in our family where like Judy honestly and truly believes that metal straws are dangerous enough that you shouldn't use them and you shouldn't have them in your house. Oh yeah. And I, to the point, and I think I either scoffed or made fun of that idea. And then later on, she forwarded me a news story of someone who's had somehow like impaled themselves with a metal straw. I think while driving, uh-huh. uh, like they were drinking from right. a cup with a metal straw while driving and they were in a collision and they were seriously mm-hmm. injured, which makes sense. So, Which wouldn't have happened with a plastic straw. That's true. But the plastic straw would have gone on to kill a turtle 10 years later. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't need to drive and drink from a metal straw, but like, I mean, a nice julep with a metal straw at a bar that sounds more that sounds reasonable to me um, yeah i feel the same way i yeah and i think uh metal straw is like better than throwing a plastic straw out every time you want to have a drink mm-hmm. so i think that she's joking but i guess i don't actually know but <laughs> i mean she must be joking because if she thinks that hospital emergency rooms were inundated with people slicing into the web between their thumb and index finger while cutting bagels, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, inundated sounds like a really strong word to me. Yeah. It's a hyperbole. I'm sure it happens. And definitely I, I can see, I can see like a real point there. You know, some people aren't as good with a bread knife as others and, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, Cutting a bagel is like, in terms of like the risk of cutting your cutting your hand while trying to cut a piece of bread, probably bagels like pretty high up on the list. Oh, I agree. It's like a little bit tricky to hold on to. You can kind of like lay it flat and then like sort of slice horizontally, but then you're kind of like slicing towards your hand. So yeah, I mean, I can see it. But and it's a it's a firmer dough and. 
Also mm-hmm. with bagels, you're tip- most people aren't leaving a hinge. Like with a hot dog bun. Yeah, exactly. You have to and... cut straight through the whole thing. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I can see it, but I mean, I sort of just think that everyone needs to practice how to cut bagels if they need to do that on the regular. And if they don't need to do it, like if they only need to do it once every couple of years, then they should just have somebody else slice their bagel for them. Can I tell you a fun tangent about straws sure while we're on the subject of bagel slicers yeah. <laughs> you like do you know you know why straws are called straws uh because they're like a piece of straw yeah because right you, okay yeah you, you you can take a piece of straw which is hollow and you can drink through it liquid through it yeah, yeah that's kind of what i assumed although i don't think anyone ever act i don't think i ever actually confirmed it yeah and i think i kind of like yeah assumed but, that since since i was a kid or something but right but so the interesting thing is like that sounds like a very yeah i'm sure that you know in the year 1200 maybe they did do that but um i have an interesting <laughs> little bit of um memories like written memories that my mom collected from one of her oldest cousins who's 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 much older than her because um their their parents had so many children there was a a large gap between the oldest and the youngest um okay and one of the memories that he had collected was um my my grandfather when he was a young lad drinking like and his buddies drinking malted milk through straw like real straw that they had like on the farm and that well idea just like uh, it totally enchanted me. <laughs> like it's so, it's so. Um, I don't know what. It's so pastoral and like simple and sounds so delicious. Like really cold malted milk through a straw. I don't know, like through a real straw. Um, yeah, totally. To the point that if we ever we were talking about the the what was oh the Favikin cookbook and menus. Mm-hmm. If I were to do a dinner in the style of Magnus Nilsson, one of my courses would be like really really fresh malted milk ice cold sip through a piece of real straw like that because that's how he writes his yeah totally that kind of language um anyways sorry isn't straw super skinny though usually i guess like probably not always you can probably get thicker ones i don't know all the straw that was like around because i grew up on an acreage like Mm -hmm. in central alberta and yeah there were plenty of like there was like a barley field right by our house and um there were a bunch of hay fields and i think there were wheat fields pretty nearby too and like all Mm -hmm. the straw that we ever found also and we had straw bales at our place because we had horses Mm -hmm. um and yeah most of the straw that i ever found was like you know you could sip liquid through it but you know you would feel restricted compared to the diameter well, I, of most I imagine straw. I imagine it was like a kind of part of the ritual is like going through the straw bales and finding the widest bore one that would be best for drinking the malted milk that's how I think we, yeah and maybe, maybe maybe I incorporate that into the service of the, the service of this trick <laughs> <laughs> just come and drop a, a bale of straw on the table find, find your utensil <laughs> and then next you could drop a hay bale with a needle in it and have to <laughs> find the needle and a needle in a hay bale that's not how the expression goes (laughs) i'm pretty sure that is it it's like a needle in a hay bale (laughs) um yeah so anyways i i personally feel like people can do without bagel slicers 
Just get a sharp knife. And practice. And practice. Yeah. Wear, wear one of those cha- chainmail gloves. Yeah. And learn how to cut a bagel. The Kevlar ones are probably okay in that situation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So she also um, mentioned that one uh, one piece of kitchen equipment that she uses all the time and that she feels like she would be lost without is a spurtle. Have you ever heard of that? I had never heard of it. No, I don't know. Like it sounds familiar, but I cannot. I couldn't tell you what it was. No, it's like from her description and some images that I found online. It's sort of like a flat wooden spoon. Oh, okay. Like, but like, like longer. The the spoon part is kind of like elongated, and it's like thin and kind of like you know, sort of like a wooden spatula. Like I th- like it's not exactly like a bamboo spatula but mm-hmm. it's a similar idea i think like a, like a bamboo spatula that you would use for cooking in a wok you know okay i think i um can picture one that my mom had and like it would be used just like a wooden spoon but with it has like a um a flat end so it has more uh surf like it it's in contact in better contact with the the pot or pan that you're using right yeah exactly so, for, really so like for scraping the bottom of a exactly a yeah. pan yeah yeah no i had no idea that's what that was called but i can picture that yeah so yeah i'd never even heard of it so thanks judy now i know what a spurtle <laughs> is never stop learning never stop learning in this business am i right alan <laughs> There's always another spurtle around the corner. <laughs> That's like uh, just for anyone who's in, no one's interested. If anyone's interested, uh, you never stop learning in this business is something that Shale and I would say often, <laughs> especially when something really dumb happens. You just say that. It's like, right. oh, okay, I'm surprised well. we haven't said it more on the podcast up until now, actually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And it's fun to say spurtle. It's yeah. Great. Um, and then we also got some feedback from Emily who we both uh, used to work with, mm-hmm. uh, at Elm. I know she confessed that she had like a kind of, um, a guilt. Uh, I think if I remember, oh, right. it's like a kind of guilty, um, obsession, obsession. She really likes her magic bullet. She knows she's like kind yeah, of totally. admitted like, yeah, it's just a, it's just like a, kind of crappy blender but um she likes her magic bullet for i think she said specifically like making vinaigrettes and dressings and stuff is just quick and easy um also guilty it was almost like her guilty pleasure but i don't think you need to feel guilty about magic bullet usage no no for sure it's definitely useful i i it's just like you know when i think about it i think like i think about what it could be like right yeah. If it was like actually well made and powerful, mm-hmm. like I'm like, oh yeah, you could just like blend like a single serving amount of like a small thing, and you would just have it like in this little cup container that you can put straight in your fridge. Like the whole idea behind it seems very convenient. Yeah. Um, and like for my Vitamix, I purchased my Vitamix at Costco, as I'm sure a lot of people do, mm-hmm. and it came with like two smoothie cups and like an attachment for for like yeah and it's similar like you put the smoothie like you screw down the smoothie cup upside down and then it kind of acts like a magic bullet only like twice as big and huge and heavy and cumbersome or whatever (laughs) but 
<laughs> but it's like a similar idea. And I think if, you know, like I, I think if, if you're really committed to that, to making like a really good, you know, but smaller, but powerful, convenient little blender, like a magic bullet, you could have just like a really amazing tool. Yep. Totally. But I don't know, maybe, maybe there's just not a, like, because I'm sure it would be expensive expensive and then i don't know if there's a market for a tiny expensive blender <laughs> right yeah. maybe people feel like <laughs> need to feel like they can blend a lot of stuff when they're <laughs> buying right. an expensive blender or something mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how it works but anyways i've never had one but yeah i'm, I'm sure for some things it's great and she even said that she would probably never try to make hummus in it right <laughs> so <laughs> well they do in the infomercial <laughs> it's in the recipe <laughs> <Yeah>. book <laughs> because it's amazing that would okay that would be a good topic is like recipe we've talked about recipes ad nauseum but like recipes that get published in books that are that come along with things that you buy oh yeah because they're yeah garbage there's oh man the i think i don't know if we've talked about i don't know if this came up like in our um do recipes work conversation but like the KitchenAid mixer. What an amazing piece of equipment. The recipes in the book are garbage. They're they're the kind yeah. of recipe where it's like to make pizza dough, combine one and a half to three cups of water <laughs> to <laughs> yeah, exactly. two to three cups of flour, whatever it is. Like um, it's ringing a bell. I think maybe you did bring that up in our do oh. recipes work episode or something like that. Anyways, inf- it, it, it's frustrating. Oh yeah, um, you should see the instant pot book. Alex. <laughs> yeah, it's a nightmare. And there's a there's also a recipe book that comes with the Vitamix. Basically, oh, every there... piece of kitchen equipment that you buy, there's yeah, there's yeah. a really bad recipe book that comes with it. <laughs> um, Emily mentioned two other uh, kitchen gadgets. One was the garlic press. I think oh, she right. said she works somewhere where they. Oh no! Oh no! Sorry, I'm confusing two things. Um, but she said that she hates garlic presses because they. They, even though they save you time, you lose that time again when you have to clean them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was a really interesting point because that is totally yeah. a kind of calculus that cooks and chefs do. I don't think of it often with little hand tools like that, but like when when we were operating Zalts and making sausages, we had this 60-pound capacity sausage stuffer. And so there was a kind of like limit you had to find where it's like okay if i'm making 200 pounds of sausage yes i'm going to pull out that slice or that uh, stuffer but if you're making 10 pounds you're actually you're going to waste more time cleaning it afterwards than you would have saved in how fast it can stuff sausages right so rather than just pulling out the small one or just trying to exactly, stuff yeah. them yeah 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 exactly and that calculus is always going on and i think that is really interesting and that's a, pretty much exactly what i was going to say i i think that a garlic press like sort of i think what we kind of landed on when we were talking about it in the gadget episode is like that like it does provide a different product mm-hmm. you know like then then like um then like chopping it with with a knife right and it, and and i think i was saying that i think you can get close by like mushing the garlic or using that salt technique or whatever mm-hmm. but you really do get like you know a garlic paste out of it more mm-hmm. than you get like chopped garlic and those are two kind of different things and so like if the garlic paste is what you're after i think it's a good tool but if you're if you're doing it to one clove of garlic or two cloves of garlic yeah i think the cleanup is probably totally not worth it Mm -hmm. if you're doing it to like 20 cloves 
Yeah. <laughs> right? Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, then that's the sort of calculation that you have to make because, yeah, cleaning those things up is a pain in the butt, mm-hmm. especially if you want to be thorough about it. You need to get a toothpick out and like poke all of the garlic that's stuck in the holes. No, I think a brush, just a bottle brush Fine. or a toothbrush. <laughs> yeah. What if you don't have a toothbrush? You know, I don't know. I guess maybe you don't have a toothbrush under your kitchen sink. I don't actually. That's oh, weird. Maybe I do. I might. <laughs> I do have a bottle brush though, Alan. Yeah. It's kind of too big to use on a garlic press though. Yeah. We have, <laughs> we have this little set of small tools on a ring that we keep by the uh, dish sink. That's really useful. And it has like, what's effectively oh. like a plastic toothpick. Um, and then the kind of like miniature getting the garlic out of your garlic press. <laughs> no, that, no. That's well, what? you could use it for that. If you, uh, <laughs> if you wanted to waste time your time. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then it has a miniaturized, the kinds of mini bottle brushes that you use to clean out straws. Right. Like if you have a reusable straw. Um, Pipe cleaners, they call them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like yeah. more rigid than the ones you use for crafts. Um, yeah, I hear you. And then one that's kind of like a, if you picture that pipe cleaner only um, looped yep. into a ring. Um, so mm-hmm. that, that little guy could get into the garlic, um, the garlic press and, and clean it out really good. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I keep a little piece of chain mail beside my sink for cleaning out my cast iron skillets. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Works good. I've never heard of that. Oh, really? Yeah. It works really well because it's like, you know, super abrasive, but sometimes if stuff is like, you know, really, if you like really burn some stuff to the bottom of the pan sometimes it's like it can kind of skip over a bit Mm. of carbon you have to get in there with like another kind of scrubby or something Mm -hmm. but yeah generally for just getting like chunks of food out of a cast iron pan works really well Mm -hmm. while we're on garlic presses though Mm -hmm. do you want to hear like we had we had vaguely remembered that maybe anthony bourdain had a like kind of railed against them Right, in, yeah. In kitchen. Well, you remembered that. I have a horrible memory. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to hear what he said? Yeah, absolutely. So this is in Kitchen Confidential, is that right? Uh yeah, that's right. Cool. Okay. Please treat your garlic with respect. Sliver it for pasta like you saw in Goodfellas. Don't burn it. Smash it with the flat of your knife blade if you like, but don't in italics, don't put it through a press. I don't know what that junk is that squeezes out the end of those things, but it ain't garlic. <laughs> there you go. Okay. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't really go into detail about what is wrong with it. He just, right. um, it repulses him for some reason. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, I think that it has, its. I think that it has a use, you know, like, I think that it's just a different texture of garlic and it might not be great for like, you know, if you're, for like line cooking and you're using it like you know as an aromatic and you're throwing it into like hot oil in a pan it's probably not the best because you got like a lot of like tiny pieces that are going to burn immediately it's probably better to have something that's sort of like more evenly chopped so that the little pieces aren't going to burn right away or something like that mm-hmm. but when he recommends cut slivering your garlic the way they do in goodfellas <laughs> i'm just like uh, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Anthony Bourdain, but like, I mean, it, 
ostensibly you're recommending that people cut their garlic with a razor blade. Yeah. Because that's what the scene is about. That's and what you I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess he must have just thought it was really cool. And it is cool the first time you watch Goodfellas when you're 12 and you're like, wow, they <laughs> cut their garlic with a razor blade? That's so crazy to get it so thin. Like, first of all, <laughs> my knife should be sharper than a razor blade. Oh, and man. then secondarily, it's just like such a tedious, dangerous, like... <laughs> just the worst possible idea yeah anyways i don't like that recommendation sorry anthony (laughs) good scene though good scene great scene (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and then emily also uh mentioned that she worked in a place where they made her cut all of their lettuce with a plastic knife yeah or a ceramic knife maybe um I'm pretty sure she said plastic. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And uh, saying that um, if you cut it with a non-metal knife, then the lettuce doesn't rust. Um, right. And rusting lettuce is like when the ends of your lettuce, after you cut them, kind of turn this like brownish reddish color. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever that you see on lettuce that's kind of like starting to go bad. Right. And I had heard that before, actually. Um Someone mm-hmm. who we worked with swore by it and insisted that one of his former managers like did a side-by-side test with a stainless steel knife and um sorry, a steel knife and a ceramic knife and chopped up romaine, put the two the two bowls in the fridge, and sure enough, the one that was cut with steel rusted and the one that was cut with ceramic didn't. Mm-hmm. I am I've not tried that myself. I'm skeptical, but I, I guess I I haven't really looked into it or done the experiment. Right. Well, I mean, I also have not done a side-by-side, but I have heard a lot of uh, a lot of chefs who have a lot of food knowledge um, say that that is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also have heard a lot of people say that like um, the best way to avoid having your lettuce rust or have it go bad, and this goes for most food products, I think, is to cut them with a very sharp knife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it makes a difference is because when you cut things with a very sharp knife, you're disturbing the, like what's happening when when you cut the, lettuce with your with your stainless steel knife and it starts to rust is that there's a chemical reaction happening and when you cut the lettuce you're breaking the cell walls in the lettuce and so the the contents of the cells where they're broken uh, leak out and there's a chemical reaction between the steel of the knife and whatever the contents of the cells of the lettuce are and by cutting them with a really sharp knife, you tear less of the cell walls. Right. Cutting them with a dull knife causes a lot more cell walls to be broken and torn. And, well, I think that you can probably find a pretty sharp ceramic knife. Most of the ceramic knives that I've used and, like, 
believe me, if you watched the Food Network in the 90s <laughs> and weren't obsessed with ceramic knives, then I don't know what's going on in your head. Like when I was <laughs> when I was starting to become a cook and watching the Food Network, like it was so cool to watch somebody with like, you know, cut cut things with like a knife that had like a pure white or pure black <laughs> blade. I was just like, whoa, right. that's yeah. so cool. Um, and so I tried a lot of ceramic knives at knives, knife stores when I was like, when I first started cooking, because, you know, even though they were really expensive, I was like, oh, I could be one of those cool people with a pure black knife. Mm -hmm. And, um, most of the ceramic knives that I tried were not as sharp as like a sharp, really sharp, like hard stainless steel knife. Mm -hmm. Um, and then obviously they have other problems like they chip very easily and then the blades chip and then there's portions of them that are sharp and then portions of them that aren't sharp and right. getting them resharpened is very difficult. You have to send them away usually to a special sharpening facility. Most knife stores don't have the facility to sharpen a ceramic knife and so they're kind of more trouble than they're worth and in my experience weren't really often all that sharp. Mm. Um, and had usually like a really compare, which is interesting because a lot of, a lot of the ceramic knife brands were Japanese and, but the bevel like on the blade of the ceramic knife was much, um, what's the right word? Like a less sharp angle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is that? More oblique? I can't, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Most of the knives, most of the ceramic knives were sharpened at like a less sharp angle for the bevel because mm -hmm. that makes the edge uh, like tougher, but right. it also makes the knife feel less sharp. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, my experience with cutting with ceramic knives is like not that great. And I think that they would do a worse job of like um, not like roughing up the lettuce when you cut with them. And then a plastic knife is like three times the problem. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe you're preventing that chemical reaction that can happen if you cut your lettuce with a plastic knife, and maybe it'll stop it from rusting, but I don't think it's going to stop it from going bad sooner. Like, I think you're better off cutting it with a really sharp steel knife. The, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm scared to even say this because it's going to send us... <laughs> but like, so the of all the stuff you just said, I agree. Like, I think, yeah, you're, you're definitely right that like a sharper knife will rupture fewer cells and, and stuff like that. But the, the part of it that I am very skeptical of is that there's a chemical reaction happening between the, the spilled contents of the cell and a stainless steel mm -hmm. blade. Like that doesn't like, well, like, this is the other thing too. And I, I didn't bring it up because it was very complicated and I was always already going down this like crazy rabbit hole but like i think that the type of steel of the knife that you use has probably an even bigger effect mm -hmm. like if you're using like a high carbon steel knife wherein there's you know like the type of knife that can itself rust and maybe has like a little bit rougher texture on the surface of the knife like mm -hmm. i think that that type of knife probably has a greater likelihood of causing the lettuce to rust than like a global stainless steel knife or something like that. That's mm -hmm. made of like, you know, really hard, very stainless steel. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think it probably has a lot to do with the type of metal in the knife as well. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, I, the only, like, I, I understand your skepticism and, but, but like, I, I also, 
um, believe Emmanuel when he says that they did a side by side. You know, like, oh yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise me to hear that um, no. because lots of people have said it, and mm-hmm. I, you know, and he has worked in the types of places that would do that, and so you know, like, doesn't surprise me to hear it. Yeah, that story. So yeah, it was Emmanuel who said that they. Um, the owners at Joe Beef, or uh, either at yeah at Joe Beef, um, had done the side by side and right, thereby converted him to the to the belief. Yeah, yeah, right. So, anyways, sharpen your knife. Don't buy a plastic knife. That's Shale's recommendation. <laughs> Please email me. Uh, I think that's all the follow-up, Alan. <laughs> that was a lot. That's practically an episode. Yeah. Should we just end it here? <laughs> Roll that beautiful bean footage. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so this is our one-year anniversary episode, Alan. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have a topic. We got a couple of topics. It's our one-year anniversary, which is... What anniversary is that, Alan? The one-year wedding anniversary is the paper anniversary. That's right, paper. Yeah. So we're going to talk about foods that are served in paper. (laughs) Makes sense, right? (laughs) Get it? Get it? This is is possibly the dumbest topic we've ever had. Um, And I think that I should say right off the bat that like cardboard bowls (laughs) are not paper. Oh, that's half my list. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. But what about pizza boxes? Is that paper? <laughs> yeah, also not paper. Okay. Also cardboard. Um, yeah, so like carnival food that's sold in like one of those little cardboard like plate things or whatever mm. that has like, yeah, that doesn't count. Aside from that, though, everything's fair game. Well, I'm you want me to kick it off, Alan? Yeah, or? do it. All right, so foods that are served in paper. Here's my first one. <laughs> it's totally a cheat. Um, but some of my favorite foods that are served in paper are served in rice paper. Oh, you always do this. You always... <laughs> uh, I know, but I mean, rice paper, I don't know. For some reason... Fits better than cardboard bowls. <laughs> no, to me. it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> For one thing, it's called paper in English, anyways, and it's thinner than a cardboard bowl. Anyways, some of my favorite food that's served in rice paper, mm-hmm. or that's served in paper, is served in rice paper, and those two things really are. Um, salad rolls and spring rolls Mm -hmm. the vietnamese ones are my faves so sorry are vietnamese spring rolls like they're made with the same rice paper but they're deep fried yeah basically yeah yeah i think i've had those yeah you don't treat them the same way sorry say again i think i had those at pho boy but i'm not sure i've had them anywhere else oh yeah oh man it's like some of my it's like honestly probably one of my top 10 foods oh really good vietnamese spring rolls oh my god i love them so much Mm -hmm. i don't know what it is about them it's like texturally and the flavor and yeah 
Mm. It was my favorite thing that I learned how to make when I was like learning how to make Vietnamese food from Linda Ha's mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, we made a lot of salad rolls and we made a lot of spring rolls and I got pretty good at making salad rolls and I never got quite as good at making spring rolls, but that was my favorite thing I think that I learned mm-hmm. was like a proper spring roll technique. Man, those are some of my faves. And you treat them a little differently. Like you treat the rice paper a little bit differently. You don't, when you're making the spring rolls, you only, well, I guess it's kind of similar for the salad rolls. You just wet the salad rolls a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like um, you make them a little more pliable before you actually roll them. Mm -hmm. You don't want to, you don't want to make them too pliable because they also, you know, the contents that you're putting in them provide some moisture and then they can get to, they can it's easy for the rice paper to get mushy and gross. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have to be careful about not wetting them too much, but then you really, you, when you're making the spring rolls, you really only want to wet them enough so that they're just pliable enough that you can roll them. Like they, they're like on the verge of still being able to crack, Mm -hmm. you know, they won't crack, but you know, you don't want them much wetter than that. Right. Yeah. So I know it's a cheat Alan, but yeah, rice paper, (laughs) rice paper rolls. Actually, it's funny that you brought that up. Just just tonight, um, I had a student uh, who's working on a dish for a menu that we're serving the rest of this week. Um, mm-hmm. And he's Vietnamese, and he was making um, these like uh, ground pork and lemongrass skewers. Oh, and cool. He was serving them as like the intention was for the the meat to be taken off the skewer and to put into a piece of lettuce with like green papaya and pickled carrot and stuff and to eat it oh, yeah. all together, um, which was delicious. Uh, but he, he said that um, where he's from, they would actually use rice, like they would wrap the meat in rice paper. And I had such a narrow idea. Like I knew, I know the salad rolls that are served in Vietnamese restaurants here. And I probably re- realistically only in the last few years, like found out that Vietnamese spring rolls use the rice paper, um, as mm-hmm. their wrapper, but I didn't know that. Yeah, there's obviously like a lot, a lot of things that you can put in rice paper, including this interesting kind of like, yeah, pork. Uh, it's like an elongated meatball kind of of, of ground pork uh, flavored with lemongrass. Right. Yeah. And so, did, sorry. So was the ground pork like? Was the is it grilled? Yeah. And was he saying that they put uh, rice paper on it like after it's grilled or? or before and then grill it with the rice paper on do you know oh i'm my if i understood correctly like my understanding was that like they grill the pork and then they make a wrap of it with the rice paper oh using rice paper instead of lettuce yeah 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 Yeah. okay yeah i got you totally that would be awesome i wonder what it would be like if you like did both i don't know like wrapped it in rice paper with some other things and then like if you like grilled it and then so that the meat was like mostly cooked and then you wrapped it in rice paper and put some other ingredients in there and then grilled the rice paper i wonder Mm -hmm. what that would be like probably just be chewy (laughs) it's probably a dumb idea but i'm curious i would say that i would ask him to try that tomorrow but i think he he wouldn't be down i don't think he might look at you and be like, exactly. Um, yeah. that's not how we do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him your white boy partner is curious. <laughs> um, anyways, 
I'm done cheating, Alan. Now, promise that was my only cheating. But if you wanna, if you wanna take the next one, feel free. Um, one one of my, well, a, a very fond food memory, um, for Lisa and I was in uh the Cinque Terre actually, which we've I think talked about or mentioned a couple of times. Um, oh so yeah, the Cinque Terre, a string of uh, five Italian villages in Liguria in Italy. Um, very picturesque and um, really interesting, like hiking trails between all of them. And we, when we finished walking between the first two towns, we we ended up in I think the town's called Vernazza, and mm-hmm. it was like a hot day, and we had just done our big our big tourist walk, um, and got into the town, and we saw. Um, some people that had uh, paper cones that were filled with fried seafood. And we're like, oh, uh, yes, oh. paper cone counts. Yeah, Alan, okay, hundred percent. Sure. <laughs> like you're the convener of the like what like you get to say that pizza boxes are not paper, but I mean you're <laughs> you're welcome to argue with me, but I think we both agree on this. <laughs> I mean, I know a pizza box is technically made out of paper, but it's oh, clearly not. We got paper, that on the cardboard. recording. You admit, <laughs> um, but I don't want to talk about pizza today. Um, anyways, paper cones filled with fried seafood, and we're like, "Oh, that looks good." And then we saw another group of people with it. We're like, "Oh, that looks really good," and we're starving and all that. So finally, we just like walked up and asked someone, "Like, where'd you get that?" Um, and mm-hmm. there was this place called uh, called Batty Batty, <laughs> um, and they would take a paper cone and it was just like Frito Misto. Like it was just like this collection of fried right. seafood and it was, there was calamari and anchovies and, um, cod, uh, little balls of cod and little, mm. uh, little crab cakes with the, the claw of the crab stuck into the, like peeking out of the side. So you use that as a wow. little handle and it came with, um, a lemon wedge obviously and and a long Mm -hmm. like wooden skewer to like pick all this stuff up out of the cone it was so good um and so we got one of those and then there was like a little convenience store we bought like big bottles of moretti or peroni or something and just walked around this beautiful little town eating seafood it was awesome (laughs) yeah that's a good one alan man i don't think i have anything that tops that because like I just, yeah, I, I'm also really excited that we've both been to the Cinque Terre. It seems like, I don't know, I guess it is a pretty big tourist area for people <laughs> yeah. that go to Italy. But. I have to actually uh, insert here that uh, listener Griffin, who we've talked about before, he used to like uh, live and work in La Spezia, which is one of the cities in the same region, just down the rail line from the Cinque Terre. And he kind of... Yeah. I don't think I'm mischaracterizing this. He basically kind of rolls his eyes whenever anyone mentions the Cinque Terre because he says like that entire coastline for a hundred miles is full of towns just like that, just as beautiful, but without the like horde of tourists at it. Um, right. So anyways, I just, now I think about that every time that, but I have very, very fond memories of, uh, of Cinque Terre, but yeah, and we'll know for next time. Yeah, that exactly. not just to stick to the Cinque Terre, but yeah. hit the whole Mediterranean coast. Yeah. Um, I also have some fond traveling memories. Um, the first time I had Fritz in Amsterdam, um, it's like kind of a thing for me because, like, 
um, Pulp Fiction. I right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you went to a hash and, bar. Uh, okay. So I went. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I did go to a hash bar, but I wasn't smoking at that time. Well, I don't really smoke marijuana now either and haven't in like basically since I was a teenager, but some of the friends that I was with definitely mm-hmm. did. And so, yeah, we definitely wound up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I got fries in a cone with mayonnaise in Amsterdam and I thought that I was pretty cool because I was like jewels in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> they put mayonnaise <laughs> on their French fries? <laughs> They drown them in that shit. Yeah. Oh, I'm not supposed to say swear words. Oh, really? I mean, you know, technically this is a family podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now you know, Alan. <laughs> if anyone... Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, paper cone, though. Paper cone is underutilized. It's such a satisfying... Yeah. Um, vessel for for street food and and carnival food and stuff um totally actually you know what in the um in the au pied de cochon cookbook they teach you how to make a paper cone because they serve some oh oh i think they serve they have um do you know what ore de cris are <laughs> christ christ's ears uh, yeah like deep fried pig's ears well i think it's actually deep fried Strips of fat back. Like, I think it's oh, deep okay. fried pork fat. Oh, okay. Um, and they make something similar in Newfoundland called scrunchions. Um, but I think oh, right. they serve, it's it's like, it's kind of like chicharron, only it's made from the actual f- fat back instead of the skin. So just like right. crisp, crispy bits of pork. Um, but I think they serve it in a paper cone and they have like a step-by-step uh picture tutorial of how to make a paper cone in that book (laughs) right um yeah i kind of have like a related story about that um not from opia de cochon but um when i was working at fiskabar in copenhagen we served our fish and chips in a paper cone that we made out of parchment okay yeah so fish and chips was kind of like a I don't know. I guess technically it was like almost a full meal, but it was basically like an appetizer. It was on our appetizer menu. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, just like fruits in a cone with a piece of fish and remoulade. And it was served in a, yeah, like a handmade paper cone that we made out of parchment. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of remember how to do it. Yeah. But don't test me. Have you ever been served fish and chips on actual newspaper? yeah i also have a story about that where where and when did that happen because like i'm of uh like i i would have been served fish and chips on like fake newspaper like as this hilarious gag like it's actually like right right um like it's like in in some like chain pub somewhere they like put a piece of paper underneath your fish and chips that looks like it's a sheet of newspaper but really it's a sheet of parchment paper yeah exactly or something like that yeah yeah, no, there was a fish and chips shop in Spruce Grove when I was like living in and around there and growing up there mm-hmm. uh, called Doherty's Fish and Chips. And they wrapped their, they legit wrapped their fish and chips in newspaper. Wow. And you'd pick it up and you'd bring it home and you'd unwrap the newspaper and yeah, you'd have fish and chips in there. I wonder if like you, if you can actually research when that became considered a gross um, 
violation of public health. Yeah, I don't know. I although I did like in I, I like was just sort of like peripherally googling like food and paper stuff to you know jog my memory. So that's how you get all your sure ideas. I, it is how I get all my ideas. It's how I, it's where I store all my memories too. <laughs> um but yeah like i i saw a few like i saw a few links that the description said like you know serving food in newspaper is really bad for you or something like Mm -hmm. that and so yeah sure they wouldn't be allowed to do it now Mm -hmm. but yeah when i was growing up in spruce grove that's how they served it and i think they like that if i'm not mistaken is a britishism I think so. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I yeah associated with. Yeah, and I think that they I can't. I think they are Scottish. The people who owned the shop. Oh, is there one hundred percent sure? Yeah. Um. And yeah, it was like a pretty legit fish and chips shop. Like I didn't have a ton of exposure to lots of different fish and chips places at the time, but I've kind of been like chasing the dragon, like <laughs> to get back to the fish and chips of my youth ever since. Mm-hmm. Like, and I fish and chips in a few places in england and ireland and never once was i was like never once was i in a situation where i was like oh this is what fish and chips is supposed to be like like some of them were kind of like close to what i remember it being like when i was a kid but man i think it was actually really mm-hmm. good but it's not there anymore no i don't believe so i i don't know i think maybe they sold it at some point to someone else and then eventually it closed down i think it's closed down i'm not a hundred percent uh so it's gone the way tony of... mcdonald if you know oh yeah if it's still there write in and let me know um also in school didn't you learn how to make uh like a piping bag out of yeah. parchment paper yeah, yeah, I remember that day very clearly. <laughs> it was <laughs> like it was we were making Napoleons, like we were making like the um it's like puff pastry separated by pastry cream. Yeah. Dessert. And then there's like a very classic um design that's piped. You use like a like you pipe on some icing and manipulate it with a toothpick to get this classic um kind of like a chevron pattern. And yeah, I remember right they showed us how to make a piping bag and it seemed really not pertinent practical yeah <laughs> um but i guess i mean you if, never you know. do, if you've done it a hundred times and you know how to do it really quickly it does make a really good very precise type of piping bag mm-hmm. um you know, so I could see it That's being useful. That's true, actually. Yeah, you can hold it in one hand, and you can make an exceptionally fine, uh, a very small aperture in it. To, yeah, you could do very fine, and 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 you can hold it like uh, like a pen, I guess. So you could do, yeah. um, like, if you were writing "Happy Birthday" on a plate or something with chocolate, it would actually be really good for it. Yeah, and I think like a couple of times when I was working a couple couple different places, I like took the time to make one when I needed to do some precise piping. Mm-hmm. But yeah, normally there's just piping bags available and you can cut a really small hole in them and they work just fine. Mm -hmm. Although I will say, I think that also (laughs) if you're doing really fine piping like that, the piping bags, like the the single use plastic piping bags, 
when you, mm-hmm. when you cut your hole, that hole is not truly round because of the seam in the bag. And I wonder if that has totally. something to do, whereas the one with the parchment um, was basically perfectly round and you could be very small and perfectly round and precise with it. Okay, totally. I love them now. It's used I a lot them. for... <laughs> okay, we should practice lots. Yeah. We should have a piping bag off. Bag off? Uh, okay, yeah, you're right. We should have a piping parchment piping bag making contest there's a there's a good alliteration in there somewhere we'll have to find yeah so i just on tangents i just used up all of my stories (laughs) and then the theme music plays (laughs) i do actually have a couple more do you have any more (laughs) yes okay yeah let's hear from alan well now i'm curious to know okay so one one like true just paper again and this i only thought i hadn't thought about it in ages but because i was thinking of that uh frito misto uh, mm-hmm. in italy i remembered another a couple other italian ones um there's a a a bake shop like a bakery and a pizza shop or there's a a couple they have a couple different locations they're called bonci b-o-n-c-i okay. and i believe he was featured in some one of the bourdain television programs i can't remember which one but um they they make really great pizza and if you go to the bonchi bakery in rome they'll cut your pizza with a pair of scissors and weigh it and charge you but then they'll wrap it in paper um just like in a sheet of paper that you take with you um and that was very memorable for me they cut it with a pair of scissors and weigh it yeah that was very common in italy actually like to they have like these basically pizzas that are baked like on big sheet trays Uh and when you when you order like they'll they'll just cut you you try it you well if you're an english speaker (laughs) you just gesticulate (laughs) and try and show them how big you want your piece and then they'll cut it with a pair of scissors and throw it on a scale gotcha and then they charge you by weight yeah yeah huh that's interesting. I never ran into that. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I definitely saw it. Definitely saw it in Rome. Definitely saw it in Verona. Um, so I don't know if it's like a certain style of pizza place or regional or what. But yeah, I'm curious though. So <laughs> they wrap it in a piece of paper, like parchment paper, or like butcher paper, or uh, more like parchment is my memory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. What were you curious about? Well, what about paper bags? Huh. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm not I'm not opposed to paper bags. Okay. I mean, it's I, I don't think like I don't think your school lunch counts. Right. But if the food I don't is know, maybe your school lunch does the- count. Actually, yeah, that's a whole category <laughs> that I never even considered, but actually sort of. Yeah, if you took your school if you took your lunch to school in a paper bag, it probably counts, especially if your lunch was good. But I think it's a little bit different. Like if the food like is directly wrapped in and in contact with paper, it's different than like having a right, bag yeah. lunch that has like, you know, a banana and a granola bar and a sandwich in a right. Ziploc. And your sandwich is wrapped in also a, a sandwich bag inside there yeah. or some saran wrap or yeah. something. It's not really the same thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. But like food, takeaway food that's put into paper bags like that, that really blows the door open, doesn't it? Like that's, that's like almost half the sandwiches that i've eaten in my life and yeah maybe oh yeah i guess a lot of sandwiches get put in a paper bag and onion rings man when are onion rings not served in a paper bag (laughs) um even like 
some some like well donuts like mini donuts at at the at the midway or like that's a really good one actually alan yeah those that's because like that is such a classic you know like the, the like you would never get mini donuts not in a paper bag yeah like you know it's such a classic way to serve it i don't know and especially like the i haven't been to new orleans but like i think that the way they serve like the famous way they serve beignets is beignets. to like the the beignets come out of the oil and like get put in the bag and then they just like dump sugar into the bag and then shake you shake the bag around and mm-hmm. um well we did that with you were at our little backyard donut fry up that's how we did it like right. you fried the donuts put them in a brown paper bag and then dump cinnamon sugar in it and shake it up and they were delicious yeah, <laughs> yeah man paper it's a versatile <laughs> tool it was kind of started out as a joke, and now I'm kind of like, hmm, maybe I should only cook stuff with paper. <laughs> yeah. What about paper buckets? Does that count? Like in a fried fried chicken? It's the, and it's essential because uh, the paper. We're getting into cardboard territory. You mean that's cardboard? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's cardboard. Fine. I mean, there's kind of it's not corrugated cardboard, but it's that other kind. Mm-hmm. Is there a name for it? Maybe it's just called know. cardboard. It reminds me of like Bristol board. But you wouldn't say that a cereal box is made out of paper. Depends what kind of mood I'm. If I'm if I'm in an argumentative <laughs> mood, then maybe I would. <laughs> oh man, I wish you would, Alan. I just wish you'd say it. Also, there's lots of good food that's just served on, like it's not wrapped in paper, but it's served on paper, like it's served on butcher paper, like some. I bar- think that counts. Barbecue, like at meat, like Southern style style barbecue. Yeah, oh. although it's served on paper on a tray. That's not really the same thing. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like because the paper is not acting as the conveying vessel, it doesn't count. Yeah, okay. I I think that doesn't count. Okay, withdrawn. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that there's some barbecue joints in the in the south where they come and put like a big piece of butcher paper on your table and just like drop the food right on mm-hmm. the butcher paper on the table or something like that mm-hmm. like i'm sure that exists mm-hmm. that would count but when they bring your meal out on like a cafeteria tray or right or like a sheet pan that just happens to be covered with a piece of paper mm-hmm. doesn't count okay um so zaltz doesn't count then no, results doesn't count. Bummer. Sorry. Why? You got that on your list? Cross it off. <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. What even is it? Going back to sandwiches and paper. Um, do you have anything to say about one's ability to make tidy paper wrappings for sandwiches? Uh, kind of like wrapping yeah. your, like your spring rolls? <laughs> yeah, I... I mean, practice makes perfect. That's what I have to say about it. I was never all that great at it, honestly. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, not as, not nearly as good as a lot of people who worked in the front at Elm Cafe and stuff like that who did it like 150 times a day. I mean, I guess we did it for catering sometimes, mm-hmm. didn't we? Yep. Yeah. Often the catering sandwiches be put in boxes but yeah sometimes we'd wrap sandwiches but yeah i don't know i was never i was never really happy with my wraps i never thought that they were as good as they could have been okay and i got quite a bit of practice at it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's definitely an art form 
What do you have to say about it? Yeah, it's an art form. I do think it's like when you go to a place like Pharaoh and you get like a really nice, compact, tidy wrap job, it really feels yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when you get your sandwich and there's like an end of the paper wrap that's like open and it's kind of like flat or like a triangle instead of like round yeah. and then and it's that's very upsetting um hamburgers hamburg like that's probably the most important paper wrap food that we eat is hamburgers right yeah yeah i guess so i guess you get a lot of hamburgers in paper wraps yeah yeah that's a that's a big one for sure Sometimes in paper bags too. Burger Baron mm-hmm. puts them in a paper bag, and then they staple the paper bag shut, <laughs> which is really weird. I think <laughs> maybe they only started doing that during the pandemic or something. But sealed for your safety. That's right. So you know, hasn't been tampered with. Fresh burger inside. Yeah, burgers is a big one. Should we talk about something else? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of paper. <laughs> Paper's dumb. Um, have you cooked things in paper, Alan? Oh yeah, like salmon en papillote. <laughs> Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I mean. I have that right here on my list. Oh really? Yeah. Did it a few times as features. Like I think we did it at the Rockwater Resort. Did like yeah, fish en papillote. I think it was, it was probably salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of fun. Like it's kind of fun for the customer, I think. Like right. I don't know, it's not very fun wrapping up a bunch of parchment wraps, but mm-hmm. but yeah, it's cool. It's a cool technique. Doesn't get much play these days, I don't think. That's but. true. I appreciate the spectacle of it. I don't really think yeah. that it has that much to offer. Like the the idea that the paper like you. traps in flavor and stuff is kind of silly to me, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've actually, Lisa's done it at home at least twice since I've known <laughs> over the last 16 years. Um, yeah, it's a legit thing. We used to like braise things also like in parchment or like with parchment laid over top of them um, when I worked at the Blue Pair. Oh yeah, like a cartouche. Is that what you mean? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's something like when I think of the kind of thing that I've seen a cartouche called for in a recipe is like, I don't know, you're making like a, you're sweating vegetables. You're making a puree of vegetables. Say like you're making a squash puree. And so you like peel and seed and cube squash and then you sweat them in butter, add a little bit of liquid and then put a cartouche over top to like, what's the point of that? Just to like minimize evaporation and make sure the surface doesn't dry or is that what it does? Yeah, exactly. I think it's to keep the evaporating water inside with the mm-hmm. yeah. That's a very with the product old school fancy thing that I don't think happens very often in kitchens now. Yeah, totally. We also used to. There's like this um, when I when I was at the Blue Pair, we had this like it was like heat resistant film. Okay, it was like clear plastic film. But it was like highly heat resistant. You could like blast it in the oven. Oh, was that right? And we used to braise things in that. So you'd like put like you'd put it in a pan and then you'd like wrap your 
whatever you're braising, lamb shanks or short ribs or mm-hmm. I don't know, lamb tongues or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you'd basically like lay this sheet of this like transparent film out in the in your uh brazier um in your uh brazing vessel Mm -hmm. and then you'd put everything inside it the the liquid and the meat that had been seared and the aromatics and everything and then you just like um twist it up at the top and then tie a piece of like butcher's twine around it Mm -hmm. and then you would braise it like in this little bag and so none of the and so you wouldn't get much evaporation which and then i i think like the idea there too is that you can do it super slow and low and not and and since you're not getting a ton of evaporation you can like let it go for longer Mm -hmm. at potentially a lower temperature what happens oftentimes if you're like braising something in the oven like uncovered like that is it's like constantly reducing and so then like there's a portion maybe of the product that you're braising that gets like above the level of the liquid and that portion can dry out and if you're cooking it for a really long time you can get some like you know you can kind of wind up with parts of your product that are kind of dry or Mm -hmm. whatever and and then also you're the liquid is constantly reducing and if you're going to turn it into a sauce you're probably going to reduce it anyways but like it's kind of nice to have that control um you know about how much you want to reduce it not just necessarily have the cooking time take care of that for you right yeah and so yeah Hmm. interesting yeah we braised a few things in that method um i can't remember what that stuff's called i was gonna say if you can remember the name i'd be interested to know show yeah i'll definitely look it up and follow up about it on our next episode Mm -hmm. cool um paper being used in cooking uh i think that using butcher paper to to make the crutch in texas barbecue is really common do you know what i mean by that i know no i don't that was a weird thing i just said i was like i know no i don't (laughs) Um, (laughs) what i meant to say was no i don't (laughs) So like I think once the meat is in the smoker, um, like its internal temperature starts to rise, but then it plateaus at some point. I think at like once you get to a certain temperature, an evaporative cooling takes over. Um, right. And so to like push the meat through that uh, little stagnant um, uh, temperature rise, they they'll they'll wrap the meat fully in butcher paper, like and still leave it in the smoker cover it so that um it can heat a little bit quicker and i don't know if there's also an effect of like they don't want it to if they don't want the surface to dry out or or what but um it's definitely a thing and it's called the texas crutch and i know that it at least at like um franklin's barbecue like they just they just use butcher paper to do it and presumably it's called a crutch because some other barbecue place doesn't do that and they think their barbecue is better than the people who do or something like that theirs is more authentic or something well i'm yeah i'm out of my depth but it's entirely possible based on like how uh regional preferences go in in barbecue styles that it's a somewhat uh derogatory thing from carolina (laughs) you know people from carolina think (laughs) yeah yeah you know we don't need that texas crutch but i don't i don't i don't actually know if that's the case or not but That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, I've 
bought a lot of great food in butcher paper also as well, oh. but not really been served something that I can just walk away and yeah. eat usually in butcher paper, aside from sandwiches. But. Italian-centered deli counter. That's what I think of when yeah. I think of food in butcher paper. And when I think of like really yeah. great paper folding. <laughs> <I think. laughs> yeah, they do. They, they do a good job there. It's usually nice. I don't know. I don't know if they have like just one person who does all that. But, <laughs> but yeah, their sandwiches are usually really tightly wrapped. Um, we sort of have another topic too. I mean, since it's an anniversary episode, um, I don't have a ton of anniversary meal type of like um, memories. Although I did cook for my parents' fiftieth wedding anniversary this summer and. Um, I kind of talked about it on the podcast already, mm-hmm. but there's probably some, there's probably some tidbits there, but you, uh, you have like a, an anniversary, you actually have a menu from an anniversary dinner that you cooked for you and Lisa. Is that right? Well, okay. So it's, this might actually be the first menu that I ever wrote. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I'm looking. So this is like before culinary school and. Yeah. Like I'm looking at it now and i believe this is from um 2008 i think um which is the year that i had my first kitchen job and a few years before i went to culinary school and it's not very good and the (laughs) (laughs) was the food good um I'd be interested to taste it now. Um Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd I'd be shocked if it were seasoned properly, but <laughs> But I mean, you know, this is before you were or it was this was the year that you had your first restaurant job where you were you working as a cook when you decided to do this or was this just yes. based on your yeah i definitely yeah. was because i can see things that i stole from sorry not <laughs> ideas that i stole from the restaurant that i was working at uh um, right okay okay do you want to hear it yeah i am desperately curious to hear your very first ever menu that you wrote oh and actually one other thing um so I remembered this as an anniversary dinner, but now that I'm reading it, there's uh-huh. a subtitle that says commemorating the 23rd anniversary of the birth of Lisa. <laughs> so it's actually for <laughs> so it's Lisa. Actually a birthday it's actually dinner. a birthday menu, but I had it in my brain that it was an anniversary because I wrote the word anniversary in it. So does that mean we can't even talk about it this episode? <laughs> yeah, throw it out. <laughs> I think it still counts. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. Um, Some great Foley work you did there, Alan. Um, okay, so the title is A Birthday Cake Dinner, and birthday cake is in quotation marks. A birthday cake okay. dinner commemorating the 23rd anniversary of the birth of Lisa. Um, and we start with featured cocktails, fresh squeezed lemonade with our house Chardonnay. And if I'm remembering this right, it's because we had we were making boxed or like a wine wine from kits, like you where you buy the juice and ferment it yourself. So I think that that's what is uh, I'm talking about when I say house chardonnay. So okay. fresh squeezed lemonade with our house chardonnay. There you go. Uh, the first course is Tampico bean cakes. Okay. And the descriptive. Card- I have no idea what that is. <laughs> 
The descriptive copy is crispy and savory black bean cakes with sour cream for dipping. <laughs> huh. Okay. Um, should I just read through all of it and then we and then we can go make fun of it or or do we talk about it <laughs> item by item? Let's talk about item by item this time. Yeah, let's do it item okay. by item. So, so what is Tampico? What's that? Tampico, I think, is a city in Mexico. But this is okay. directly just ripped off of the restaurant menu where I was working. So the, the, okay. my first kitchen job was at Hulbert's, which was like a little right. cafe and live music spot. And they had a menu item called Tampico Bean Cakes. So I'm sure I was just taking the recipe from work and making it at home. Right. My memory is not, I don't remember everything that went into it, but I know it was canned black beans. I think some of them were pureed in a food processor and some of them were kept whole. And then they were okay. folded together, I think, with a bit of egg and maybe breadcrumb. And I'm sure there was cumin in there, but I don't remember anything else about what was included. Okay. Um, and then they were breaded and... Um, well, actually, I think at the restaurant, they were breaded and baked. Um, oh, really? Yeah. We wouldn't have had a fryer. Oh. Um, Could have been pan fried, potentially, but... We didn't have... Uh, <laughs> you didn't have pans. Basically, every, <laughs> didn't have oil. We had induction burners, <laughs> but we didn't have hoods. We didn't... Like, um, the bulk of the uh, food, if I remember right, came out of, uh, like, a direct, vent, uh, direct ducted... Um, some kind of combi oven right yeah hmm. anyways i really like the like the language of the descriptive copy is really funny to me like crispy and savory black bean cakes with sour cream for <laughs> dipping it's just like so wordy and a lot of it's the kind of thing like i would take a red pen to if a if a student submitted it. i'd be like you don't have to tell them that it's savory. Everyone knows that it's They're a... going to know it's a savory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's a sweet bean cake, you're... well, I guess that's probably that's, that's the, that's the first thing, course but... on a western menu. We can be pretty we can pretty safely assume that the bean cakes are savory. Yeah. You can say crispy, but like show me crispy and like you, you can Yeah. It should be obvious that the, like the way you played it, the sour cream is for the dipping and like what else is going on this plate? Like it's just bean cakes and sour cream like what else can i write like what other kind of food words like food food ingredient preparation words can we get on here that gives them a better idea of what they're getting into i don't know <laughs> i'm definitely of a like pretty minimalistic philosophy when it comes to like menu verbiage and menu descriptions right. um but i think that like i don't know it it sounds very like it sounds very similar to a lot of like restaurant menu descriptions like in the in a similar time frame you know yeah. like oh, totally, yeah. and it you know so it's, it's funny because like yeah it's clear that you're trying to like you know make it sound like a restaurant menu mm -hmm. i don't know if you're trying to make it sound fancy it's probably i don't think it was probably your intention to make the bean cake sound fancy necessarily but it definitely sounds like you know kind of like marketing verbiage from a chain restaurant oh yeah totally yeah. and yeah that's the like i can't i think it was more or less the same 14 years ago but like right now generally some exceptions like magnus nilsson like fine dine like upscale restaurant menu 
writing is very tierce. Like it's like you just like it's yeah. like ingredient period, ingredient period. And that's it. Like there's not there's not very much information about like technique, and there's certainly not very many adjectives unless it's like a, yeah. a cultivar. Oh, man. Adjectives of- <laughs> are like my arch enemy. <laughs> um, but if you read like a, a Smitty's menu or something, like it'll say like it'll be like three flapjacks drizzled with fluffy don't forget yeah fluffy flapjacks. <laughs> yeah exactly three fluffy flapjacks <laughs> yeah. drizzled with maple syrup and topped with soft whipped cream like that kind of, like it's yeah, just like totally. really spells yeah. it out which is fine it's like there's, they're just serving different purposes kind of um do you remember sorry do you remember anything about eating the bean cakes not on do you remember what they were like to eat either at halbert's or when you made them for this anniversary in air quotes dinner uh not really no no okay it honestly like the preparation as you're describing it to me doesn't sound very mexican i don't i would would have no idea yeah like i i i also kind of don't fully know but like i don't think there's a lot of like you know like putting egg and breadcrumb and you're like it mm-hmm. that sounds very western to me you know like right. that sounds very western european like you're you're making is you're basically like um all of the like mussolines and farces and yeah is that all of that yeah. stuff that's bound with breadcrumb and and egg like mm-hmm. uh, yeah and and like uh oh what's the potato one um uh, Duchesse. No. Duchesse is Duchesse, the potato yeah. and egg yolk. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, that's Did very, that I don't know. And I don't know, like, I mean, obviously the flavor potentially, if there's cumin in it and the beans themselves and the fact that you're like, you know, making kind of like a refried bean type of situation by pureeing part of the beans and, right. you know, that, that, all kind of sounds Mexican, but yeah. Then when you're like binding it with egg and breadcrumb and then breading it and frying it, yeah, for some reason it just doesn't sound very Mexican. I mean, I don't know very much about Mexican food to be honest, but, um, and what was the name of the town? Tampico. And you've never been to Tampico, I guess. I've not I haven't been to Mexico at all actually. I mean maybe that's a real dish from Tampico. I don't know. That's possible. I don't know. Okay, moving right along. Um, so that was your appetizer. That was the yeah, sure, you can call it that. Okay. And then so the next next course I don't know if I'm going to be able to piece this all together, but it's called Dockyard Fish Cakes. Okay. And Dockyard is in a lot of cakes on this menu. It's a birthday cake dinner. Don't you get it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to get it. Dockyard fish cakes. Dockyard in quotation marks. I don't know why. And then it says rustic fish cakes made with wild Pacific salmon and roasted PEI potatoes served with a homemade tartar sauce. Okay. Say it again. (laughs) Dockyard fish cakes. Rustic fish cakes made with wild Pacific salmon and roasted PEI potatoes served with a homemade tartar sauce and club sauce. Just kidding. 
<laughs> uh, dockyard. Why are they called that? <laughs> I think that's just like it. I I don't think there's any real reason. I don't think it's like it was right. you know um, stolen from a restaurant called Dockyard or like. I think it just like sounded. You just think that that made it sound like it was from the coast. Yeah, or something. and like really like you yeah. know blue collar rustic right right yeah, i don't know yeah i have no idea dockyard fish cakes yeah and roasted pei potatoes that's interesting yeah okay so i think that there was a lot of leftovers at work that i would make into other things so like it's it's, it's weird to <laughs> right, me right. to like yeah roast potatoes just to smash them into fish cakes um right so i th- but if you have roasted potatoes that you need to use up somehow yeah, yeah. like i i'm picturing like roasted potatoes left over from a brunch service that can't really be mm-hmm. served as they are anymore. And so they get smashed in with baked salmon and mixed with egg and breadcrumb. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and then bread and, and, then and, bread and baked. And now that I'm starting... Oh, man, I can't wait for the third course. <laughs> now that I'm starting to picture this, like you could probably make the Tampico bean cakes and the Dockyard fish cakes because they're coming with first sour cream and then tartar sauce, like two white dipping sauces. These two courses could look identical on the plates. Do you know what I mean? It's just like a, yeah, a, absolutely. a puck of breaded fried something with white white sauce in a in a little stainless steel ramekin kind of you could serve both of those things in a cone as a frito misto and nobody would know what was what (laughs) exactly yeah yeah (laughs) okay course (laughs) cake course number three what's cake course this is the last course actually this is the oh three courses only yeah okay all right was my first menu shell what do you (laughs) yeah no that's fair like this is the the third course is dessert is that yeah so you had your bean cakes you had your fish cakes and now it's time for dessert sorry were were the fish cakes served with something else on the side if they're like normally like a three-course meal like the the main course would come with like something else she was my first menu (laughs) it's not the first time you ate a menu By, by this point, I had exhausted all of my cake ideas. I was like, bean cakes, got them. Fish cakes, got them. Hmm. Better just serve cake. Okay. I'm trying to figure out. I don't really. There's a lot of swear words in the last one. Oh, really? And I don't know how to, if I just read it and get you to. Just bleep read it, it, Alan. I'll just. But I don't. I'll just try to bleep them all all out. I don't. I don't really want. I don't know. Just because I think that. If you want to censor yourself, that's totally fine okay. with me. Also. Um. So yeah, the last one is actually some really strong language in it. So I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> this is clearly not a restaurant menu. Clearly a private menu. Because if you put a bunch of swear words on your restaurant menu, then somebody would probably come in and be like, "Um, I'm calling the police." Oh, although that's an interesting idea for a pop-up concept. Like, a, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna think like about a that. Very. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I'm gonna say the phrase "mess up," but that's not what it says on the menu. 
Okay. Okay. Um, so the last course is mess up crumble cake. And this is the descriptive copy. Every year, Alan tries to bake a cake to impress Lisa. And every year, the cake fails to rise, breaking Lisa's heart and dashing Alan's confidence in the kitchen. This year, we have turned the vestiges of Alan's culinary mess-up into a delightful cake crumble served with raspberry drizzle. There you go. That's that's some very interesting descriptive copy. Yeah. So I think... I mean, it's nice. That's very personal. It, I like that. It was... Um, yeah, it was a thing. It was So this, I think, would have been the third... Maybe the, the second or third... Um, birthday that Lisa had had since we started dating and I had tried on at least two occasions prior to bake her a birthday cake and they both fell um Uh and so I tried it again this third time and it's still I still messed it up um so I just I just crumbled (laughs) it up and then like poured raspberry sauce so you changed the verbiage on the menu to match what effectively you wound up with and yeah had to serve yeah so it's an accidental dish yeah that's right yeah that's right mess up crumble cake yeah but not mess up (laughs) except except it hasn't caught the world on fire like like lava like chocolate lava yeah or uh what was it oh yeah tartatin yeah (laughs) yeah anyways there you go okay that's my that's my uh the first menu i ever wrote when i had probably been cooking professionally for two months that's pretty cool it's pretty cool that you have that yeah i guess i don't have a lot of like stuff from my early career i got a couple things from school i actually like i I was kind of going through some boxes of like i i I don't keep very much very many like mementos and things Mm -hmm. but i do i was going through a box like earlier like uh, I think in the fall and I found like a folder with some like, yeah, old menus that I did for school and stuff. Oh, was there? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of interesting. Uh, maybe I, maybe I'd bring it on the podcast. <laughs> he said it like, I mean, maybe I'd uh, offer myself up to such embarrassment, but um, I mean, if, if Alan's going to do it every week, then what's the point? Of me? <laughs> I mean, mine's more embarrassing because I was like trying to be fancy. Like really trying hard <laughs> to be fancy, <laughs> like, like not <laughs> not trying to be fancy for fun for a birthday cake menu, right. you know, for my partner, but like trying to actually impress my fellow students and teachers, and it's probably pretty embarrassing. But didn't am I imagining this? Didn't you tell me that you designed a menu for Bryn that was all birthday cake themed? Uh, actually, cheesecake. Oh, cheesecake. Themed. Okay. Yeah, and I haven't actually fully finished that menu ever. I've got like I have like four courses, I think. I do have that mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, I think I have four cheesecake courses, but I, I want it to be like five or six courses. Like right. I want there to be like an amuse and mm-hmm. like an appetizer cheesecake and a like a soup cheesecake <laughs> and a you know. <laughs> I know that doesn't make sense, but it <laughs> makes sense in my head. Do they all do all the courses actually have something that looks like a cheesecake or it's all like kind of deconstructed and uh some of them would be actual like cheesecakes. 
some of them would be like savory, more savory style cheesecakes, mm-hmm. and some of them would be actually like like maybe deconstructed sweet cheesecakes with like on like as a component on a savory dish or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're mostly they they're like all kind of like legit cheesecakes. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try and find it if you want. Might as well since we're here. What if I can't find it though? Then that's gonna be the worst part. I found it. <laughs> well, that was easy. <laughs> totally. Okay. Um, this is like I wrote this. I don't know, like years ago, and I haven't looked at it in a really long time. So this is gonna be hilarious. I actually have one, two, three, four, five, six courses already. Some of them aren't really. Some of them are just ideas that obviously I haven't really thought through yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a snack at the beginning of the meal would be a dried cheesecake crisp. Okay. Um, with whipped chev and mint. So I think like the cheesecake crisp would be like, what I'm picturing is like, it's like graham crust and cheesecake like batter, but then dehydrated into like a crispy okay. yeah. cracker. Mm-hmm. And then that would be the base for a canapé that would have whipped chev and mint on top. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound like that bad an no. idea. I don't we actually, <laughs> I not I don't want to interrupt your menu, but we actually have. Mm-hmm. I put a dish on the menu at Ernest this term that is like it was just we call it like a, a cheese tart, but it's like a goat cheese uh-huh. tart, and the the crust has like uh, hard cheese like grated into it and stuff. It just reminds me of that. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and then first course, savory. These are the savory courses. And I haven't designed any of the dessert courses yet mm-hmm. by the looks of things. Um, you would think that would be the easy part. <laughs> you just make a cheesecake right. for two different kinds or something. Um, okay, so we have cave-age Gruyere cheesecake fritter mm-hmm. with caramelized onion jam. That sounds good. Let's what's see that what's the vision? Like, how does it? How is it a cheesecake fritter? Is it like a just a cheesecake that's deep fried or what is it? I think it's basically like, um, like a croquette. Okay. And so it's like, um, so it's like cheesecake batter Mm -hmm. basically, but maybe with slightly more egg so that it won't fall apart. Mm -hmm. And then it's probably, breaded in like some kind of graham crumb mixture and then there's just like probably pieces like little cubes of cave age gruyere like rolled into it mm-hmm. so that they melt when it's like cooking when it's being fried right. yep or whatever so then you open it up and you've got like soft kind of like not very sweet more more like close to savory like cheesecake filling mm-hmm. and then pieces of melted cave-age gruyere like dotted around inside of it Mm. that's kind of what i'm thinking sounds hard to pull off without a lot of experimentation Mm -hmm. but uh okay second course radicchio mozzarella cheesecake i have no idea what i was thinking about (laughs) um i like radicchio and mozzarella 
Yeah, so I think the idea is like make a fairly neutral cheesecake and utilize mozzarella as part of the cheese component. Um, and I think this is like the salad course. So okay. it's probably like a grilled radicchio, piece of grilled radicchio, and then like the mozzarella cheesecake. I'm not sure how, what, I'm, I have no idea even mm -hmm. honestly what, what that would really be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm assuming it's like fresh. It's probably like a fresh mozzarella that's somehow like torn and then bound so that you could make it into a cheesecake or something like that. Oh, okay. Don't really know what I was thinking when I wrote that. Um, okay. Baby baked brie cheesecake. That sounds <laughs> great, actually. Baby baked brie cheesecake. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the idea is like it's a tiny little like you can get those like little individual brie. Yep. So it's like a tiny little individual brie and then it's inside like a tiny little savory cheesecake. And so then you bake it and then you have in the middle the like melted brie. And so you cut it open. But there is like a conventional cream cheese based um filling around it or is it just like the brie yeah. in a crust oh, okay there is yeah no yeah there's like cheesecake filling around it and mm -hmm. so you cut in it looks like a little tiny cheesecake yeah. and then you cut it open and then there's like brie and like jam or something and so right. like brie and fig jam inside or something like that yeah like you would get like if you if you did a break baked brie in like um uh in Puff pastry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or the other way that you could do it is like make a brie, like a brie cheese flavored cheesecake mm -hmm. filling. And then take a piece of puff pastry and put like fig jam in it or something, some kind of like sort of acceptably savory type of jam component. Mm -hmm. And then put that in the bottom or or no put the cheesecake like put it in a ring mold put cheesecake filling in it and then put jam and then close up the puff pastry and then bake it in the puff pastry so you would have like what would look like a baked brie but then when you cut it open there's a cheesecake that's flavored like brie cheese inside <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of those two ideas i'm not sure which one <laughs> i was thinking of um and then the soup course is a – it's called cheesecake soup with graham crust garnish. Okay. But it's actually uh, a chev fondue. Okay. So you like melt chev and wine and, you know, bind it a little bit with some starch and you get like a fondue – I had this amazing chef fondue at a restaurant that I went to in Vancouver. I can't even remember what restaurant it was now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was like 
it was their amuse. Like it wasn't even on the menu. I got there and they're like, oh, the chef wanted to send out this little goat cheese fondue. And it was just like this little dish with a tea light underneath it. Mm-hmm. And there was just like a small amount of goat cheese fondue and this like little warming, warming dish. Yeah. And then there were like pieces of brioche to dip in it. Mm-hmm. It was so good. I didn't even know you could do that with Chev. Yeah. And I have actually never done it, but like they did it. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely possible. I think because I would think that, oh yeah. And and the thing that I thought found was like kind of so, so special about it is like normally when you melt Chev, it can get grainy. Yeah. You know, yeah, but it was not grainy at all. And so I'm not exactly sure what they did to counteract that, whether it was like they mixed it with cream cheese and that helped buffer it or they like whipped it in the blender after they melted it and with some starch and that helped smooth it out mm-hmm. or what the situation was. But it was like, yeah, it was very smooth. It was like really hmm, cool. It was delicious. Yeah. And then the last thing that I have on here, I don't even want to say it because it's clearly not even an idea and I don't know why I wrote it down, but I have cheesecake juice as the palate <laughs> I don't know what that means, Alan. I have no idea. I'm assuming that just means milk. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's... Is there like, is there a question mark after it or anything, or it just <laughs> there should be for sure. I'm putting one right now. <laughs> there, fixed. Thanks for listening to Food Court, a podcast recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Food Court is hosted by Alan Sutterby and Shale McDonald. Theme music by Ryan and Shale McDonald. Make sure to subscribe to Food Court in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or in your favorite podcast player. We love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at feedback at foodcourt.fm or find us on Instagram at foodcourtpodcast. If you want to spread the word, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks with a fresh new episode. Thanks for listening.